Hey, I'm Mike Myers, and this is the Songwriting for Guitar podcast, which is geared to support songwriters and producers to gain confidence and turn pro. I bring on industry experts to help you improve and monetize your skills, engage better in the writing process, and build healthy habits to create a sustainable career that you love. Caffeinated, inspirational, conversational. Hey, what's up, friends? Mike here with the Songwriting for Guitar podcast, episode number 76, intro to production music with Dave Croft. Now, this week, I've got Dave Croft from 52 Cues on, and we're going to dive into production music. Now, this is a big thing. I talk about licensing. It's what I do. But there's various facets of licensing. You can go through so many different areas. There are different buckets. And one of these areas that I deal with is production music. This is different than the songwriting aspect. There's a whole new set of rules. There's a whole new playbook that we have to follow. And Dave is a pro when it comes to this. And we're going to dive into this world. And also, too, we're going to tell some great stories. We're going to tell some great analogies. We're going to talk about coffee. We're going to talk about books. We're going to get into all of it. This was the first time that we've really chatted. But honestly, it was so motherfucking chill. That was basically it. Um, Dave and I just like, you know, hit it off like that. So not only is there going to be great connection, but there's going to be a lot of great info, especially if you're someone that's trying to understand how do you get into that world of production music and what are some of the general rules? So enough of my jibba jab. We're going to dive into it. Episode number 76, Intro to Production Music with Dave Croft. Dave, I'm super pumped to have you on this podcast because I want to get into production music because to me, I started in licensing with not thinking about production music. It was like full songs. We were doing vocalists and I was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And then suddenly I had a friend, Josh, that was like, hey man, could you make me some acoustic instrumentals? Well, really it's going to be for this, this kind of production. I was like, what's that? It was like, well, it's kind of like licensing but it's a different form and i mean that is your that is your bread and but that is your world that yep, is the absolutely. thing that you built the thing that you teach uh the community you've set up that is like you're in it it's it's yeah it's all about it the youtube channel you know it's it's 100 i was just talking to a buddy of mine this morning i had coffee with mm-hmm. you know we were talking about the youtube channel and the yeah. community and about how you know, it's really grown organically over time because it is such a laser focused niche production yeah. and library music, specifically instrumental production and library music. Yep. And when somebody goes, that's a thing, it's like, it's it like, it is a thing. This is absolutely a thing. Yeah. If you've ever seen an episode of Toddlers in Tiaras, <laughs> uh, Thousand Pound Sisters, Temptation Island, or even, you know, even live sports. Yeah. You know, the music that is being played is is not like a composer didn't sit down and check out an entire episode of like love and hip hop Miami and say, you know what, you know, get their quill out and their, their <laughs> staff paper. I'm going to score this entire film. Not only does production move way too fast to have mm-hmm. a custom score, the budgets are like razor thin and, um, and the turnaround is, is way, is way too quick for these. And there's so much of this unscripted television that's getting made. And the vast majority of it uses 
production music, music that lives in a catalog that an editor sitting in their editing bay, you know, with Final Cut or Premiere or whatever, and uh, with a playlist of music that matches whatever mood or emotion they are wanting to communicate in the scene. And so, um, yeah, that's 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 what I teach. I teach at Full Sail. That's what I what's what's what I talk about in my community. It's what my YouTube channel is all about. It's what my pot. It's literally what I do all day, every day. Production and library music. That was a great explanation too of what pr- because I think people are like, what is that? And it's like it's, you distilled it down to what is so important because especially I feel in the past two or three years. There are so many new shows, new opportunities. There's another streaming service that's popping up. Yep. There's another show that's coming up and they need music. Yeah. It, it's like we can all roll our eyes anytime we see a new streaming channel come out. We're like, oh, does the world need this? I'm like, Hell I see yeah. dollar signs, right? I'm like, <laughs> they that needs 24 hours worth of programming. Yeah. And that programming, the vast majority, the vast majority uses production music of some kind, catalog production music. And I think that, you know, during the pandemic and COVID and everybody kind of went inside and nobody could go to scoring stages anymore. And editors had a bunch of, uh, of TV that needed editing. And so production music kind of came into the consciousness mm-hmm. of the musicians, of composers, of video game composers, you know, film scoring. Now, suddenly production music is is not this kind of industry secret. I mean, I, I've been I've been at it for nearly 10 years and I've known about it for longer than that. But now it's kind of into the public consciousness. I think it's because people like you are bringing it to light because they're seeing this and now they're like, this is a thing. You know, people that are like, I love writing music, but they think I got to be in a band. I have to do this. That was one form. But to suddenly, at least for me, when licensing you know, about six, seven years was kind of opened up. I was like, oh, wow. I was like, people make money from this? Yeah, like, people make yeah. people make a, a lot of money. And, <laughs> and it's, a, it's a lot of money at a little bit at a time, right? Because, yeah. you know, this isn't necessarily, and I've talked about this in my, on my podcast before, this isn't necessarily art, right? Uh, let, let me throw an analogy at you. And this, this may or may not offend your audience, but, but <laughs> wait, hear me out, right? Like, if if you want to be a chef, you're going to like cook at a fine dining restaurant and people are going to come from all over and they're going to eat whatever you give them. That's fine. That is art. But that's that's not necessarily what we're doing. We are much more like the the line cooks at a Waffle House. You know what I mean? Like the uh, the customer comes in. It might be a television show. It might be a season of Survivor or or uh, The Bachelor or whatever. And says and talks to the wait staff. We need this, 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 and this. This this year, the season of The Bachelor is in Australia, so we need all of this production music that has like didgeridoo in it and all of this. Yeah. And so the the library, the waiter or waitress, takes the order and puts it up in the window. And me, the short order cook in my little kitchen. I'm like, okay, so we have dramedy cues that need an Australian flavor. So that means pizzicato strings and didgeridoo. And I go cook it up and I put it out on the window. The publisher takes it back to the client and see and see if they like it. And 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 it's 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 really it's the short order cook of the music composition world, which may or may not. Well, I, there's no may about it. It's not glamorous. I could count on one hand the number of times I've seen my my name in a credit. And that's okay, though, because I'm making a little bit of money 
over several queues and those queues have a lot a long shelf life. I'm still getting paid for queues that I wrote seven years ago. They're still showing up, yeah. you know, every now and then on royalty statements. It's very much I, I tried to describe it once to someone. I was like, you have to not overthink. You need to start streamlining a process mm. and you need to remember this is long term. Yeah. If you have rent due next month, this is <laughs> this not is the, the way to pay. Go, go, yeah. go play a gig. Go, yeah. go teach a lesson. That's, that's immediate money. But if you have rent due in 13 months, <laughs> yeah, then now we're talking. It takes, you know, nine months to, to 12 months to get paid just because it takes that long to get into the library, to filter through the catalog, into the music supervisors, into the editors, and then to get placed, and then to get cue sheets, and then to get your royalty. So it it is a long game. You know, I would I would plan on, you know, several years before the snowball gets big enough to where you can take a serious look on whether or not you still need that day job. Or yeah. Not. And, and that's not even to say that you have to quit your day job. You can still, yeah, it's still a thing you can do. And that's what I find interesting because it, just how you describe that process too of just how it boiled down when I was doing a lot of, you know, I still do lots with artists. We're doing full songs. I, they're always talking supervisor, supervisor. And I was like, Oh, wait a minute. Why aren't we talking about the editor? The guy mm-hmm. that's in the, the guy or gal that's there that is like given them and like, ugh, the song does not have any clean edit points. This is that's, a yeah, nightmare. Because, yeah. It's so important because editors, they don't they don't spend a lot of time listening to music as a, as much as they spend looking at music, looking at waveforms. And so if if you have, you know, a waveform and a cue that's just like toothpaste with yeah. zero transients and that's not necessarily usable for them. And so it's all about, you know, reducing friction to the editor, putting edit points, making like phrases really predictable and symmetrical mm-hmm. so that a it's easy to edit and b uh, it it doesn't get in the way of a scene because your music seems so pejorative, but it's 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 kind of like wallpaper. You know what I like? I, I've used this analogy before. Like, imagine or think about the last time you were in a hotel. Mm-hmm. Okay, you got it in the in your mind. You were in the hotel. Mm-hmm. Now now, kind of play through when okay. you checked in. Yeah, the conversations you had. First of all, can you kind of picture the lobby? Mm-hmm. Probably. Could you picture any of the artwork that was on the walls? I, I guarantee you there was artwork all over that yep. lobby, but I bet I bet you couldn't recall, like gun to your head, you could not recall one of those paintings. And it is somebody's job to make the paintings on like the Albuquerque days in. Somebody got paid really, very real, really good money to make that artwork. And chances are they're highly skilled artists. They probably have a passion. They probably have, you know, they, they probably have uh, paintings of, you know, their loved ones yeah. and they probably have a master's of fine arts and all of that business. But their their artwork ends up in, you know, a La Quinta in Seattle. And that's fine. These descriptions that's, are hitting hard because I'm just like, uh, it's so, believe- <laughs> in and just like Knoxville. And it's just like yeah. the one that has the broken, like, Coke machine that's next to it has that beautiful painting. I don't know what it looks like. And it doesn't matter because the job of that painting isn't to like nobody's buying a ticket to the, uh, the gallery de best Western right in downtown uh, Des Moines. Nobody's buying a ticket to that art gallery. Right. But 
the painting, the artwork in any hotel or motel or whatever is there to provide ambiance. It's there to provide mood. It's there to kind of set yeah. set the atmosphere of the environment. And for production music, we do the same thing. Nobody's buying a ticket. Nobody is nobody's lining up to hear Dave's like jangly ukulele cues with glockenspiel and hand claps. Nobody's nobody's that's not ripping up the Spotify <laughs> download plays. But music supervisors need that music yeah. because that music works well underneath like arts and crafts videos or back to school sales and all of that stuff. I feel production music too. It is, you know, artists are just, this is my work. This is what I'm giving. And it has it's to be that moment. With a capital A. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, you also have to be like, okay, calm down your ego. Mm -hmm. You are not, what you're creating is not meant to be the center of attention. It is merely to support something that is going on. And that if any point it feels that it's distracting, it will not be used. Your, it breaks. Yeah, yeah. Your job is to be there, support things that you touched on too. I feel I love mentioning because it's like sometimes people are like, what do you mean? The feel, the, you know, capturing the essence of what's happening and also kind of highlighting it to give it more authenticity. The scene, the act, you know, what's happening. Do I believe it or not? And the music is either going to amplify or hinder that scene. That's right. The ones that amplify get used. The ones that hinder don't get used. It's that simple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's here's the good news for for your audience and and folks who who you know are songwriters that that take it takes a real heavy creative lift. Yeah. The good news is is that it it requires creativity, but it requires much less than you think. To be honest, and that's not to say that the music is less than that's not to say it, it doesn't need to be as quote unquote good, but it just requires less creative muscle. Think of it. That we all know who Terry Crews is, right? Mm -hmm. Like the bodybuilder actor, yeah. right? Guy could probably li lift a car. And when you are writing a song from scratch, that's really coming out of your soul and your id, right? You need that kind of muscle, Yeah. but you don't need a Terry Crews to open up a peanut butter jar. Right. You just need maybe the right tool, the leverage. And in fact, if you bring Terry Crews energy to opening up a peanut butter jar, you're probably going to break the jar. <laughs> probably. Yeah. I mean, if Terry Crews, if he pushed like lift a car energy yeah. into opening up a jar of peanut butter, the whole thing falls apart. So so it just takes less less creative lift. And so it's more about learning what kind of when to back, you know, back back down your creative self and serving the editors, serving the publishers, and to be honest, kind of putting your ego in the in the back seat, right? Ego's fine. It's fine for Spotify plays and, you know, applause and adulation from an audience, but there's no room for egos in the production music industry because quite frankly, nobody has time for that. <laughs> nobody has, no, they, they're, 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 there's, a, there's a production house, you mentioned Knoxville, uh, in Knoxville that does a lot for Discovery Channel. Mm -hmm. And at any given time, they're editing 13 shows at any given time, mm -hmm. five days a week, 40 hours a week, 13 editors editing shows. That's A, how much TV is getting made yep. and B, how much they need to get through. And so- they do so not, not have time not to be doing. like, excuse me, if you're going to use my cue, I would like you to use 
Right. No. Yeah. I, you know, I, I love this cue. <laughs> Here comes another bad English <laughs> accent. And I love the fact that it's written in 716. I'm going to spend the next 30 minutes figuring out the edit points of this Ugh. clearly autistic time signature. And no, it's friggin' four, four, man. It's so like, it, you know, quieting the ego, which is great because again, all these things that you're mentioning, just a reminder that this is a service based industry period you are serving a client not the reverse yeah it is cool to see your music get used it's awesome but you are providing something that they need if you don't provide it there are people in line that will gladly be like hey this is what it is and i'm happy to serve you you cannot throw sand into the gears of a production right you're only gonna slow everything down and when you start creating friction with an editor they're just gonna move on yeah. You know, I mentioned Discovery Channel. They have something like 700,000 cues in their catalog. 700,000. Yeah. So the fact that anything gets picked is nearly miraculous. And so if your cue is difficult to use because it's like, I really like it, but uh, it's just uh, the editor, well, they're just going to move on. They yeah. have 699,999 other options <laughs> that don't introduce friction into the whole into the whole process. That is that's the point. There's so much more. So if you're like, well, no, no, it must be this. Cool. This is not the place for you. Yeah, go go release it on Spotify. Go play it live. Do you be you? And the, you know what, man, the world needs that. The yeah. world needs art. But don't make art and then be surprised when you know the the the, the downtown Howard Johnson in Orlando. <laughs> So have I hit all the big yeah, ones? Yeah, all the big ones. Uh, you're just naming. Right. <laughs> Don't be surprised if they're like, you know what? This is great, but it doesn't really it doesn't really work. That's the thing too. There's there's a place if you want to go, and that's awesome. But the need for really focused music that is serving all the edit points, that is serving that you are able to. I think also not overcomplicate because that was another thing I learned about pre- as I was, and, well, not the thing that I've learned at all, but I'm still learning. But like when I started, I was we like, all are, why man. didn't they use that? And it was like, oh, that was busy as hell. I'm right. confused. <laughs> and there's so many things that when I was yeah. like, but if I only use like two things, that's just like, oh, because I'm measuring the idea that this is the center point. This is not the center point. This atmospheric yeah. pad and this guitar swell is all that I need to indicate that this is an eerie underwater scene. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And, and, and coming from a, from a songwriting perspective, you know, songwriters are used to making sure that their music tells a complete story, Mm -hmm. right? The hero's journey, you know, act one, act two, act three, the bridge, you know, that's the dark journey of the soul and all of that stuff. My favorite Joseph Campbell book. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's fantastic. And great songs do that. In Mm -hmm. fact, I'd say great songs need to do that. Take the listener on a journey. However, in production music, you're not telling a complete story. You're telling one scene of the story that the editor is putting together. And so production music needs to have one mood, one emotion. Very rarely will an editor, if they have a scene that starts melancholy and ends joyful, Mm -hmm. very rarely, not always, but very rarely will they go look for a single cue that traverses that emotional terrain. Instead, they're going to find a melancholy cue find a joyful cue and stitch them together. And it just makes it so much easier, I think, for the creator. Because if you realize all you've got to do is 
create this one feel mm-hmm. and that is it. You don't have to worry about resolving it. You don't have to worry about finding the other section. Right now, you just have to give this feel that it's uneasy and that something is about to happen, but you don't have to tell me what that thing is that's going to happen. You just got to get me to this point. Yeah. And the the challenge is, from the composing standpoint, the challenge is, is making sure that your cue... And by the way, just to define the term cue, the, the, I use the term cue to describe any instrumental piece of music written for media, mm-hmm. whether it's games, films, television, or whatever, specifically instrumental versus a song, which could mean something different. But the challenge is, and what we have to learn is even though it's one mood and one emotion, the cue still has to have some kind of developmental arc. So how do you have development in a cue when you can't rely on everything that your songwriting brain is like a klaxon. <laughs> yeah. Change keys, change keys, chord change, chord change. And you can't do that. So you have to do things like layering and density of your layering to make sure that we're slowly building it up and going back and forth between an A and a B section. But the B section isn't like a B section like you think it's a B section. It's more of an energetic B section. And so that that can be a real challenge for the songwriting artist brain. And I think that the the challenge for most artists is like, once you do one, do another one. Mm-hmm. Do another repetition is my friend. Especially what I've discovered is like, cool, you know that mood and that atmosphere? Do it again. Do yep. it again. Do it yeah, again. Because when when you go to pitch your music to the library, you know, they might say, This is great. Love this dramedy cue. Now send me ten more. <laughs> And you're like, uh, and if you haven't like sorted out your sustainable creativity or where your ideas come from, because you spent the last 10 years just waiting for inspiration to strike while you were walking the dog or taking a shower, which is great. Take advantage of those when they happen, but that's not sustainable. You can't, you can't build up a 20, 30, 40 year career with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cues by waiting for just inspiration. And that's so much pressure to put on yourself to, that yeah. that one inspiration, that one idea is going to fuel all of your financial success. <laughs> it, oh my God. And, and then when it doesn't happen, you feel like a failure. Yep. And, and then, and then here, here comes imposter syndrome. Glad to see you. And then procrastination and looking at and writer's block. And then, you know what? I'm just going to quit. I'm going to sell all my gear and see you. Um, would you like fries with that? Which is great. You know, yeah. I, I, I need me somebody to serve me some fries. But if you have ambition to be a composer, you've got to work out where your creativity comes from. And production music gives you a relatively lower barrier of entry. I mean, it's not a low. It's not easy. Yeah. But it's also not like move to L.A. and score a movie. Right. Yeah. That's a very high. <laughs> that's a very high barrier of entry. I th- I think the thing, it too, is. This is where where I hear folks that are like I'm into a bunch of different genres. I really love the experimentation and the you know and I'm like great because guess what? You should be a little versatile. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes when you're an artist, you have to stay within a particular realm. Like, you know, right. there we go. But the idea if you can be like, "Hey, do you enjoy indie rock?" Yeah. Do you enjoy doing a little kind of like dark instrumental underscore? Do you also enjoy the idea of like maybe a little Southern rock? You want to have Mm. that versatility, especially for me as a guitar player. It's kind of nice to have that leeway of like seeing something that says like Stone Temple Pilots. This one is looking for pop punk. This one's looking for a little more kind of like country. But I have that versatility and that outlet to go ahead and make that. 
Yeah, and and for guitarists, because I know this is you know a guitarist yeah. podcast. Guitar is still one of those things that's very difficult to reproduce in MIDI. Right, I'm a drummer, right, mm-hmm. and so man, they sort of they they worked out drums and piano like first, and then everything else is coming along. Um, but guitar, believable guitar, uh, is is still yep. you know difficult to pull off convincingly in MIDI. In fact, I have one contract for a library that in the contract, it says no MIDI guitar. I'm contractually obligated not to use (laughs) MIDI guitar. And so, you know, your listeners who are pushing, you know, their guitar skills, I mean, that is a real superpower that uh, a guy like me who, yeah, I have guitars hanging up and it's really nice, but it's all like drop D tuning and, you know, open, you know, power chords and that kind of stuff. Uh, And so anytime I need like real, like, big boy guitar playing, I, I have to bring somebody in. I, you see, that's what made me feel really, at first I was like, I wonder if there's a home for, and it was like, oh. and you're right, because the one thing when I have a student that's like, is that mini guitar in the back? And they're like, yeah, could you tell? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah could, it sticks out like a sore thumb. <laughs> yeah, it's the uncanny valley of music. Yeah, 100%. Uh, but that's so, it, for me, it was exciting to just have those outlets. But what it made me do in my composition simplify. It really embraced the idea of simplify because again, yeah, it's great. We're using guitar, but let's not go all Ingve Momstein all over the place. Like we do not need to do our pitches from hell. (laughs) Yeah. And if you have bass, you know, you don't have to be Jocko. Like, come on, just, just calm yourself. Just hold down the roots. Yeah. It's again, it's that Terry Crews energy. You don't need to build, you don't need to bring bodybuilder energy to open up a jar of peanut butter. You know, you don't need that much, that much of a creative strength. And, uh, and so some, some of the, the best cues that I've, that I've heard were from guitarists who are playing like really talented guitarists, but they get into the mindset. It's got to be MIDI and all of this stuff, you know, and I want to circle back to something you said about, um, kind of the versatility. Versatility is good, but in my experience, libraries are really looking and wanting you to bring your core competency to the table. Mm. Like, what's the thing what that, like, yeah. whether you want to call it the desert island thing or whatever, like, if you sit down and, and it, the, there, you, you have zero agenda and you play, you know, Travis Picking, or yeah. if you, you sit down and you play Ingve or whatever, I would say start there. Start with the thing that just comes out of your muse already and then learn how you can leverage that into the production music world, learning about learning about how uh, cues are put together, learning about what editors need and, and things like edit points and mood and emotion. And this is, you know, this is what 52 cues is all about. We have, we have, uh, we have guitarists, we have vocalists, we have flute players, saxophone, yeah. all across the spectrum, many of whom are very accomplished musicians, whether they're, they're like composers with a capital C or whether they're gigging musicians or music directors or educators or whatever, just learning how they can leverage their own core competencies, the thing that just comes out of them easily so that they can then use those in production music. And I think there's, there's absolutely room for any instrument, any, I mean, I wrote a cue with like slide whistle, like a couple of months ago, you know, I have a jaw harp here and accordion and all this stuff. And, uh, there's, there's literally no genre that could not find a home in production music. How many times have you gotten the feedback from someone? Hey, 
your song sounds dated. And you're wondering, what does that mean? What do you mean by date? What, could, what do I need to do to fix this? Well, guess what? I want you to go to songwritingforguitar.com right now. Lainey Dion has a free training up right this very moment in which you can do three things that will transform your melody. Move it into a modern context, but still bring it away that feels authentic to you, that represents what you're trying to capture. There's no sacrifice when trying to make something modern. You can still be authentic to you and your story. But you got to go to songwritingforguitar.com to watch that training because it's only going to be up just for a little bit more and then it's going to be down. So stop wasting time. Go there right now. I think 100% starting with what is your core strength and starting there is super important because it's like just deliver the best current you. You can build, you can learn, but just start right there with that and do lots of that. Do it well, because when you do the thing well, that makes heads turn. That makes people right. go like, because that's the authenticity part that also comes that's through. Right. That's the authentic you. Like, obviously, if uh, you had him on the podcast, like, I can't do hip hop. I am not going to try to sit here and be like, <laughs> oh, you watch me crush this. No, it's, it's not. It's not possible. It's not going to be the thing that I'm going to be authentic about. But if you tell me like, hey, can you crush out, you know, some, you know, atmospheric guitars that are looming and tense and feels like, you know, that have swells that are eerie with pads. Oh. I'm like, okay, for days. Here we go. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. The, the guitarists who are like the tweaker guitarists who are like, I'm going to hit one note and then I'm going to sit there and like mess with effects pedals and all that stuff. That is gold. That is yeah. gold for like tension music. And all. I, I would spend a lot of time like in Omnisphere or in all these kind of plugins, but it's all like in the box. But if you could, if you could bring that energy to a cue, I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you not to mention, like if, if you're just a rock guy, if you're like, like Foo Fighters or, or whatever, then sports broadcasting, all the boots and clap stuff of like that whole side of things, yep. infinitely, infinitely usable. And uh, guitar really, really is at the forefront of so many production music styles. And I, you know, I, things that I remember and getting first couple of cues, just like, oh, that was so simple. It was just kind of like that, like moment of like, lean into the simple, yeah. lean into it because it's straightforward. It's exactly what they wanted. And not like me being like, well, if you move on into three minutes and 28 seconds, that's where it starts to go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just hang on, buddy. No, just, I mean, most cues are 90 seconds to two minutes. Yep. And so it, it just doesn't. Now, now I, I want to be sure that simple doesn't always mean easy. Yeah. Simple means that there's a very straight path. It doesn't require, you know, bodybuilder energy, but there is a learning curve to it. There's absolutely a learning curve to it. And I'm a student of it. I'm still learning, you know, in, in my podcast this year of 2023, I'm doing my year of taxi where I'm, I'm, I'm submitting cues up to taxi.com and following them and see if they get returned, see if they get forwarded and all of that. And I've gotten returns. I've gotten returns on, on, on cues that, that have gone on to get placed in other libraries, but it's all a learning process. That now that to me is also intriguing. People are like, do you still get rejection? And it's like, yeah, it's just, I think what changes is the reaction to rejection. Yeah. I think people that lean in and do this when there is a rejection, 
it's less of an ego that's bruised, but more or less a leaning into being like, okay, why didn't that work? That's interesting. Yeah. What's the takeaway? What's, what's the learning moment? Yeah. Here? What's yeah, the thing 100%. that I can build on? Because if I gain a little bit of that, I can use that for the next couple, which are, it's just, you're getting more insight to the process. Yep. Yeah. A hundred percent. And so like when I got, you know, those, those taxi returns, you know, they sting no matter how many cues I'm coming up on like 600 and something cues that have been published, the returns, the rejections still sting. But the difference <laughs> is, is a, what you do with it yeah. and B, how long it sticks on you. You know what I mean? And don't, and don't let it derail without like, you know, table flipping and like raging <laughs> out and all of that, which, you know, I'm, I'm still human, right? I'm still like that little artist brain is still there. I've I've managed to tamp like artist Dave way, yeah. way, way down, but he, he comes out every now and then like with his little beret, you know, like I've got to paint. This, this, is, uh, a, this is a suck a bit. Get me a baguette right now. Yes. Somebody right now. Now, one of your sayings that I like, and you even have this as a poster, is a cup. And I think this is where I stress for guitarists, especially if they're trying to understand something, listening, but also to read the fucking brief. Can we just talk <laughs> That's about that? Can, right we, there, man. that? can we just talk about that? That to me, when you're wondering, well, why am I getting rejected? My, you know, I'm looking at what I'm doing sonically. It's hitting the market. Okay. Let's go back to what they were asking for. Can we see that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wait a yeah. minute. Here's what they were asking for. And what you're giving me you were trying to force a square into a circle. That's not, it's not going to work. It's like, yeah, it's good, but look at what they're trying to measure with. You're not even close to that. You're light years away. Yeah. And I think it manifests itself in a couple of different ways. The first is either thinking, I got this, I got this. And so I don't, I don't need to read it. I know what they, they want a contemporary hip hop cue on it next, or they just kind of blitz through the references and like, got it. And don't read the brief. The other is saying, hey, I want to write what I want to write and like what you were saying and just try to like shoehorn it. Well, it's like 75% there. And I mean, you, you just you don't have any hope against somebody who is 100% there with your 75% there and just trying to shoehorn something and wrangle it into the brief. And uh, part of it, I think, is is impatience, wanting to get done. And also, if you have a cue that maybe has gotten rejected, you want to try to find a home for it. So you're like, well, it might work, <laughs> which is fine as long as you know yeah. I didn't read the bleep and brief, right? And I'm just <laughs> trying to trying to make it work. But I think most most students that I've talked to, when they run into this, they write what whatever they want to write and try to force it into a, a brief that matches in that general that's that's just not how the gig works no we're again we're short or that would be like let's go back to waffle house here comes another metaphor i told you i've been i've been teaching for like 25 years i can't stop myself my apologies if metaphors are tiresome i love metaphors i think it's fantastic All right. I do it would be like the short order cook that says you know what i'm going to open up the waffle house and i'm just going to make uh i don't know um, let's make pancakes today and look at all these pancakes and, and yeah, a couple of people might like them, but it's like, if you don't like my pancakes, that's on you. How dare you not like my pancakes? And the guy, the guy that walks in is like, I ordered an omelet. Like you'll like this pancake. pancake, but I'm, I'm allergic to flour. Yeah, I'm, I'm nope, gluten intolerant. Eat it. Eat it. Right. 
You'll right, build it. exactly. It's that's that's the mentality and thinking that well, they just got it wrong because they didn't like my pancake. You see, I'm loving your metaphors and analogies. It's because <laughs> I my my go to would be it's like I'm a a big I love the Great British Baking Show. I could watch uh-huh. repeats all over, but it's every time. Let's say he wants a tort, and then he and then Paul. Paul's like, this is good, but it's not what we asked for. Right. And it's like, it might be the best tort on the, it might be the best meringue on the planet, but they wanted a tort. It's like when, you know, when I do critique sometimes, I'm like, cool, what was the reference and what was it for? Because that gives me some system of measurement. Right. And if you're telling me, oh, I don't have one, I can't really do anything right now because I don't know where this is going. But if you're like, it's for this brief, and I'm like, cool, they asked for, Modern Machine Gun Kelly Rock. Okay. Okay. So let's listen. Cool. Sounds like the Almond Brothers. Love right. it. It's great. But that is just not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard uh, another analogy that Michael Lasco from Taxi uses. It's like if he used to work at a shoe store. So it'd be like I come, I come. you have a customer that comes in and orders a size nine pump mm-hmm. and you gave them a size 13 sneaker. That's great. That's an Air Jordan. Wow. That's an amazing. That's a $500 yeah. pair of sneakers. It is useless to me yeah it might as well be a flip-flop for a toddler that's how useless it is we could just keep on we should do just get the, the rest of it is just gonna be i know a, just metaphor after metaphor. come on now but i think it just what it's trying to point is I, I think when people feel frustrated acknowledge the frustration but then do the pause to be like why let's take a look there's some kink in the system was it the production quality? Was it too busy? Was it not what the brief was supposed to be? Yeah. Did I not have some sort of production reference? Was I not listening? If it's usually one of those things in the realm. And the 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 thesis statement underscoring all of this is you have to get yourself out of the way and recognize that it's a service industry. Yeah. This is a service industry. We're there to help someone else tell their story. And when you get yourself out of the way, you open up to all of these opportunities and you realize that they're doing the work for you. Like when you listen to brief and you're like, okay, this instrument, this instrument, this tempo, this key signature, this chord structure, boom, look at all of those compositional decisions that you don't have to make anymore, which leaves you bandwidth, creative bandwidth to 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 work on your mix or to work on a really good melody or or work on you know a new technique in your DAW or or mm-hmm. something like that. But it's doing the work for you. And we haven't even talked about references uh, and mining for references. And that's and, the thing yep. too. Yeah. They're ask, they're giving you essentially, here's what we're looking for. Can you do this? Mm-hmm. It's almost silly for me not to be like to, to do the opposite and be right. like, ah, I'm not even going to listen. I know a general idea of what this library usually likes. Right. But, and, but when we're in our ego, it's, that, doesn't, that doesn't really factor into it. It's amazing how so. we stand in the way of most of the things we want to do. The ego is awful. It is a terrible, terrible person because it's just like, I'm doing this for you. And it's like, actually, no, you're not. You're actually yeah. No, no, no. What you want is you're, you're either compensating or, you know, you're looking for validation from your peers or, or, or whatever. There's uh, maybe some trauma baked in there, but uh, not to get too, too deep. But, you know, Stephen Pressfield in his book, War of Art, he kind of gathers all of this stuff up and Ooh. calls it resistance. I love it. And I love do the yep. work. That's probably some yeah. of my. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, Turning Pro is also a good. Yeah, his whole Stephen Pressfield is fantastic. 
I yeah, because that's another thing we could talk about books, but that it's that's that's one of my go tos constantly. And I just go back and listen to reread. I have an audible. I'll read it just to be like because it pop, there are things that just pop up that make me go like oh okay. Cool. Yeah, I, I, I listen. I, I I have the audio book. I'm such an audio book person, and I listen to it at least once a year. I, at least it, once because a year. I think people need to remember: no matter how far down the process, you still have to keep it, you know, right. under the 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 ego, the fears. What Elizabeth Gilbert says that I love. She was like, your your fear and your ego, everything. They don't have to be the driver. They're going to be there for the journey. They're just in the backseat and they're not dictating where you're going. You kind of, that's right. You can do that. Yeah. And when you have your ego baked into it, when you get the return, when Mm -hmm. you get the rejection, you have no choice but to take it personally, Mm -hmm. right? Because you've invested your own value as a composer into the thing that you are trying to get somebody else to give you money for. And if they do that, they have to assign value to it. They're the gatekeepers. And if they say, you know what? No, thanks you know, thanks, but no thanks, then you will, you have no choice but to come away feeling devalued and uh, feeling worth less. Yeah. It's tough. It, it is tough. But what I find interesting, the people that stay within this niche, that stay with it, they get the rejection, but they're also like, I'm curious. Okay, I'm good. And then yep. they just dive back yep. in. They're What's the next the morning. They're there. They're opening up their da. They're building out things. They're researching. They're going on to you. They're listening. They're listening. That's another thing. They're listening. They're probably spending more time listening than they are building because they're like, if they listen more, they're attuned to what is working. That's right. And it's That's almost right. like they extrapolate it. And it's just like in their little wheelhouse so that when they go and they open up their da and they're in their studio, they're not pulling from a dry well. That's but, right. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. It, it's in listening and everything. That is uh here comes analogy. We need a, <laughs> we need a warning bell. It's like, a, it's a bank account, man. You have to deposit into the bank account so you can withdraw from it. And the more you deposit, then the bigger that sum gets. And then it starts generating its own interest. And then you realize you can deposit just a little because you can withdraw because it's, it's building on itself. And that's when like references become influences and influences become deep seated influences. And, uh, and so you, yeah, you've got to put in before you can take out, you've got to deposit into your creative muse before you can withdraw from it. And it opens you up to things that you didn't know that you would like. Cause when I dive in and I discover things, I'm like, I didn't know. I, I thought I had this blanket statement like, this is not. And suddenly it's like, oh, wait a minute. This is actually really good. And suddenly that makes me kind of go like, well, if I believe something that wasn't true about this, what are other things that I'm not believing Mm. that aren't true? And it kind of unearths this entire process of me being a more open-minded individual and willing to be like, Hey, I'm, I'm let, let's dive in. Yeah. Now, yeah, absolutely, man. You, uh, you know, you have a community. You're teaching at full sale. What are you know? If somebody's listening to this and they're like, "I want to start diving into this," this seems like it's calling me. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you're 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 telling me these things, and I'm like, "Yeah, oh, you're feeling the pull." <laughs> I'm feeling the pull. Like you had me at the Waffle House analogy. Now I'm leaning into this. <laughs> what you know? What are some What are some starters for someone that wants to get into this world? Well, I mean, uh, if it, is it is it too shameless to say head over to 52qs.com no, and join us. Shameless. <laughs> and I think that's funny too cuz people are like, "Well, Mike, you've got a thing." I'm like, "You realize that I'm saying that music is open. There's no there's so many amazing programs that are out there. I want you to experience lots of different ones." That's right. I'm and not like, one yeah. not one person has like all the answers and you might not vibe with me. You might be like, "That beard is stupid <laughs> and uh, I only listen to people with amazing heads of hair." Mike, well done. <sighs> 
Uh, like, dude, I started losing this in my 20s. I'm like, nope. I shaved it off. And then I'm like, okay, okay, God, just give me a good, nice, full beard. And thank you, G-Man. Appreciate you, buddy. Um, okay, so uh, I would say uh, if you're interested in production music, yeah. you know, and some of this is resonating with you, check out 52Qs.com. Um, and, and it's a free community. It's run on a platform called Mighty Network. So imagine kind of like... Facebook groups without the scraping your personal data uh, <laughs> mixed with some discord vibe to yeah. it. And so uh, we've got a great community. We put uh, we put up feedback threads every single week that uh, open up for you. You can post your cues. You can give feedback. You can re- uh, receive feedback. And uh, and so we have that. And then we also have some other subscription tiers for folks who are really looking to push forward. And the subscription tiers start at nineteen dollars a month and they get you things like uh, they uh, so, some of some of the benefits are weekly live streams. I, I put a two hour live stream out every week where I am writing live. Uh, we all I also do Q breakdowns, weekly Q breakdowns. Also do Zoom office hours. I do live Zoom-based feedback and critiques where folks can send their cues and I'm giving feedback and critiques. And then we have monthly workshops. So we have industry professionals from from music supervisors to to other composers to artists and uh Mixing, we have an editor coming up in the, in the next few months. That's awesome. A, a Hollywood editor who's going to come in and talk about editing. So we do workshops and so a, a ton more, uh, but it's free to join at 52Qs.com. And uh, if you don't want to do that, then you can check out, you know, the podcast channel, uh, youtube.com slash at 52Qs or slash Dave Croft. I put out weekly podcasts, video podcasts, and it's all and only about production music industry. Mm. There you go. Yeah. That was, appreciate that. Yeah, was that was that good? Was that a good? That was perfect. <laughs> because too, I believe, you know, music is not a knife fight to the top. It's and really I think not. that's what people assume uh when, you know, there are people connecting within the online space that they think there's this sort of like Ah, ah, back, back. This is my time. It's like there's, yeah, there's yeah, it's, it's, room for everyone. There, there is, man. The table is so big. And one of the things that, that I believe and I say is, you know, together, yeah. we are better. Yeah. You know, together. And, and I believe in generosity. I believe in kindness. I believe in empathy. I believe in, in sharing knowledge. I mean, I, I, I recognize I have subscription tiers and all of that, but I make myself available you know, in, in a way that, that not a lot of, not a lot of folks do. And I believe that one-on-one interactive, uh, interactive feedback and interactive connection is vital for someone who's really serious about it. Like if you're, if you, if you just want to explore and just like, what's this whole production music stuff, then I don't think you're ready to subscribe and send me your $19 a month or whatever. But if you're ready, then, then go for that. But it, it, yeah, I, I am not, this ivory tower snatched the pebble from my hand type of sensei and only through, you know, you have to earn my respect before I feel like bequeathing upon you my grand knowledge. No, that wasn't how it was mentored for me. And yeah. I enjoy being that mentor for other folks. I, I I think the best mentors are the ones that they had someone that was like, oh, you seem like you're kind of interested in this and you got some potential. Cool. You know, you're rough around the edges, but we can, we can smooth those out. Right. Having those folks, because we can name them. We remember those mm-hmm. moments where somebody pulled in and you were like, especially in those moments when you were like, I don't know if I can do that. And then it's like, somebody was like, oh, I think you can. And you're like, really? 
yeah, super patient and just poured into you yeah. and let you make mistakes, you know, consequence free. You know, that was my <laughs> whole first like two and three years in the production. I had a publisher come alongside me and uh, set me up with an, another composer who was basically just a future version of me, right? Yeah. Just like I say, I like telling my students, there's nothing inherently special about me. Yeah. I'm just a future version of you. I'm on the same path, just a few. So, so why don't, you know, why don't I Sherpa you along the way and I can show you, you know, where not to step while we're, while we climb the mountain together. Dude, I love that because people are, I'm not the best guitarist. I'm okay. But I listen a lot and yeah. it's just like, that's it. I've just been just a couple steps ahead. That's it. That's right. Nothing Absolutely. crazy. No Ingve. I am not. <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm not the best drummer, and I'm certainly not the best composer. But I feel like I've got a bead on production music, and being a, a teaching higher ed for nearly 25 years gives me the ability, hopefully, you know, successfully to communicate those things yeah. and make them approachable. Dude, this was awesome. We're we're gonna yeah. do more. We'll come back with another episode full of just analogies. Just, it's just gonna be analogies. forty-five minutes of several different analogies. Yeah, I've got forth. I've got to research more hotels and motels in uh in middle America. I want you to give me the most obscure cities, the most obscure hotels. <laughs> Dave, this was awesome. Thanks for being here. Oh man, thank you so much. Keep up the good work. I really, really appreciate you. And uh and I hope to see you and your listeners and everybody and your viewers. I hope to see you around. Uh, over in the community at 52 Cubes. And that does it for this week's episode. It was edited and produced by Chris Vefalius. I'm Mike Myers. Thanks for listening.